and welcome to episode 18 of the Double Birds podcast. My name's Chase Woodruff. I run a cardinal site called Double Birds. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, El Machino. What's up, Mac? What's up, man? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the Cardinals aren't good. We know that. Uh, we're going to try to start off here with positive things only. Uh, I can't make any promises as to how far we're going to get, uh, but we're going to try. So let's start off with one positive thing. Tommy Pham, pretty good. Yeah, he is. Yeah. It's kind of weird because, like, uh, this team is, I don't know. I know I've kind of doggedly stuck with the idea that they're not completely horrible. And uh, he's part of it. I think they have one, two, three, four, five guys with, like, OPS pluses at or near 120 with Piscotti being a guy I think could get there, too. Um, So I do think there is an offensive core there, and he's really led the way, especially since – you know, as Jerko sort of tailed off, you have to have more than just those uh, top three guys. And he's really come through as that, which is great because uh, I told you so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I think we were both kind of on that train at the beginning of the year that uh, Jose Martinez making the team was frankly ridiculous. No, we're staying positive. We're staying positive. We're <laughs> <laughs> I, that's, that's positive. That, no, no. He's we, good. He's good. That's positive. <laughs> yeah, it would have been – how can we frame this in a positive way? It would have been wonderful if uh, Tommy Pham could have started the year off where he deserved to start the year off, which was on the Major League roster. Uh, but he's there now, and he's he's kind of cooled off a little bit. Uh, he At one point, he had the, uh, the, the platonic ideal of a slash line, which is 300, 400, 500. Uh, which was terrific. I think now he's he's he, like, like you said is is OPS plus and WRC plus are right around 120 or so. Um, here's my question: Where would that need to be? His his OPS plus need to be at the end of the year. Before assuming assuming he gets you know the rest of the year's worth of uh, of most of the at bats, which is you know far from a certainty given uh, Mike Matheny and and uh, his the fact that I'm trying to stay positive. Uh, <laughs> that might be a tough road, but yeah, assuming he gets whatever, he's got 150 at bats. Now there's uh, less than two thirds of the way to go. Um, you know, if he gets 300 more at bats at the end of the season and has a OPS plus of 125. Are you cool with going into 2018 with Tommy F- Tommy Pham as your left fielder? Oh uh, yeah, I mean the thing with him was always uh, health and vision, and he seemed as long as he has both, he's okay. Um, that's the problem. I'm not gonna convince myself that he's gonna be around. Um, that's the only issue I have with him. I do think. I guess it's kind of cliche analysis because a lot of guys are doing this now, but it looks like he's lifting the ball more. And uh, for a guy with his power, I think that uh, that works for him. Not really for a guy like Yachty, but for him, I think it does. Um, so, you know, I guess, yeah, I guess it's the health. That's why I'm not okay with entering a year with him, but it's not talent that's my concern. He was always a hitter. He could always do this, I think. Maybe not 120, but I think he was always capable of 110. So, I guess that's where I'm at with him. 
Not to mention, uh, on a team like this, it should go mention that he is like their best base runner easily. Like yeah. the one guy that has speed and can use it. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Uh, certainly, we we heard a lot about uh, Dexter Fowler's, uh, you know, base running skills over the yeah, off season. Yeah, he, he can too. It's more. I, I feel like I feel like the team, you know, that we've we he has joined the Cardinals and suddenly magically uh, <laughs> turned into a worse base runner. But we're staying positive. Uh, another very positive thing, probably uh, as the season goes on and my big main positive takeaway from this season so far is that carlos martinez is a top 10 pitcher and that's huge yeah yeah he was always kind of on the fringes there but i don't know man since that nine inning start i think against san francisco he just flipped the switch like he's working super fast and just wiping guys out like he'll go seven eight nine innings and not even be on the mound for like a cumulative half hour. Like he's really, I don't know. It's probably not smart to say, but it really looks like he's flipped the switch, which you always knew he could. He kind of like for a couple of years was like stuck, if that's the right word, at a one thirty ish ERA plus. Um, but it, it looks like I don't know if he keeps this up. I mean, I'd probably go higher than top ten, honestly. Yeah, it is. It's so much fun to watch. It's so good to see a player who I think most Cardinals fans, uh, you know, re- really enjoy watching and are invested in on a personal uh, level. Take that step and reach that plane. It's also huge for like the team as uh, the future of the team and and the sort of model that the Cardinals. You know, we've been critical of the model of you know making all these small kind of conservative bets and kind of hoping to get by on these, you know, players. Like you know, if, if you're going to be a contender, particularly as, as the league has evolved and, and people and lots of other teams have gotten uh, smarter about drafting and development, you probably can't just hope to be a contender or a perennial contender in the, in the way that the Cardinals, you know, supposedly want to be if you're just producing Lance Lynn's and Michael Wacha's as good as those players are, you need to occasionally, you know, produce a, a, an elite talent, a superstar talent. And it seems like Carlos Martinez at this point is, is right on that, right on the verge of that. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if you've really just going off the top. How many pitchers do you think you'd take over him just going forward? Like if you had like a, like a real team, who would you take above him? I mean, are we are we including his contract? Because that's a big uh, uh, yeah. I mean, I think w- get with his contract right now, he may be one of one of the top ten commodities in the game. Yeah, it's a short list. Yeah, <laughs> and and in terms of pitching, yeah, I don't I don't know. I mean, in, in terms of pitching, I'm trying to think of what what sort of contracts are out there and what guys how long they're under control but i mean carlos martinez he has another uh six years potentially of control including this one yeah something uh, like that. so yeah i mean it, and and not at, at a at a very reasonable cost and 
Yeah, I mean, I think he may be he he. You could make a case that he is the most valuable pitching commodity uh, contract included in in the game. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and it's it's really cool to see. So, what uh is there any hope? Be uh you know other than pulling a uh, Tanya Harding on Scherzer and Kershaw, is there any hope of a Cy Young award this year that you see? Uh. His team's performance probably doesn't help. I still still think that holds. Like, if the race, if he were even in the race, it would be close, and I think that probably hurts him. Um, and the fact that he started the season not great. I mean, the, these last few starts have more than compensated for him because he's just been invincible. But uh, I don't know. When you have a, a slow, I guess, month, month and a half to start, and you have, I mean, you're just playing catch up with the two best pitchers in the world. So I don't know if I'd go Cy Young per se, but I do think he's going to probably be close. I mean, if he can keep, I don't know if he'll keep this up, but if he can stay this kind of pitcher, kind of the guy that, you know, pitches like a Cardinal, but just kind of accidentally falls into 200 some strikeouts a year doing it. Uh, I think he could easily finish second or third. Yeah. Yeah. I hope, I hope so. I mean, yeah. it's just, it, at this point, it's like the thing that is saving my interest in the Cardinals, uh, more than anything else. Uh, at the very, you know, I, I've, I've been taking, uh, mental health breaks from this team <laughs> recently. And, uh, the one thing that I can say about this team is that I will, as long as I'm able to, I can't, I can't not watch them every five days when Carlos, Carlos Martinez is pitching. Cause yeah, it's, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's so much, I mean, I don't remember like you're talking about, he, he works fast. He's obviously, you know, uh, shout out to Danny Mack and all the, uh, unconscious racists at, uh, Fox sports <laughs> Midwest, but he's very animated on the mound and, and it's yeah. the, his, his, just his, I don't know. I mean, even in the dominant days of Wainwright or I don't remember, you know, having this much fun, uh, watching somebody pitch. And a lot of times, like when the Cardinals are, uh, are on defense in the, in that half of the inning, like it's kind of like more nerve wracking than anything else, even, even with a, with an okay pitcher, but like Carlos Martinez, he's just such like an active presence and it's, uh, it's really a lot of fun to watch. It is, yeah. On the defense point, it is kind of interesting. He's been rolling a ton of right-handers over. And so, like, all of his starts, you see, like, Jed Jerko having to work out there, uh, which, you know, if you're if I'm trying to come up with uh, things that would stop him from winning a Cy Young, uh, probably leaning heavily on Jed Jerko is up there. Uh, but, he made yeah. A, he made a good play that I saw over the weekend. But, uh <laughs> He reminds me of Freeze, like maybe not a ton of range, but anything he's that gets hit to him, he will handle, and he can. I mean, he has reflexes, so he's not the worst guy for the job for sure. So we've 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 had this kind of reversal of uh, fortunes in terms of the offense and the defense, or you know, offense and the pitching. The pitching has. Uh, cratered over the last couple weeks while the offense has finally sort of woken up at least in part uh, mostly thanks to uh, Carpenter and, and Fowler who have I think now are both above uh, 120 OPS plus at long last and 
really are doing everything that we wanted them to be doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, do you and, put, uh, do you put any stock in, it's just, it's, is it purely coincidence or not entirely coincidence that, uh, it took the, uh, switching them at the top of the order to affect this change? Uh, I don't think so. Cause it looked like, I don't know, Fowler kind of, after the first month, got it together. Um, not exactly classic Fowler, but he was putting up numbers after the first, like, I don't even know, it might have been before April ended. Um, and then, so, I mean, it was kind of hard to tell that he was on the comeback because just he started so badly. He had a lot of ground to cover. Um, and Carpenter, kind of the same thing. I think he was, he looked more like classic Carpenter, um, before he got moved to lead off. So I think it's probably just a coincidence and they, they need to shake something up. So they moved them. And now that they, I think they just kind of continued their trajectory. So it looks like that changed something. Um, I don't think, I don't, they both seem like they're not taking exactly the same approach as they always have. And we've talked a million times about how Carpenter can be whatever kind of hitter um, the team asks him to be. Um, Fowler's kind of hit with more punch this year than he has usually. But uh, I don't know. Overall, I think those guys that are always going to put up numbers, um, they don't seem drastically different from what we're expecting, like you said. So I guess I don't put too much into that specifically. I don't totally discount it. I know some people do. Um, yeah, I mean, I just don't, I don't, I guess I don't know enough about like the nuances of, but it, it, like, it's not that, it can't be that much of a difference of, you know, the pitches you're seeing and the approach that, that a pitcher's right. taken between number one and number two hitter. Like, I get it, I get if it were, you know, a number eight hitter and a number two hitter, but uh, I just, I don't know. Uh, yeah, Albert's kind of a guy that I, uh, he kind of changed my mind on what, you know, with the concept of an RBI guy, mostly you're right. It's kind of like a lot of the game is sea ball, hip ball, but I do see guys changing drastically what they're doing at the plate, depending on the circumstance. And I mean, that's just inevitably going to have an effect on statistics. So I just, I just think it was funny that, uh, you know, in the game, in the game where this happened, Fowler got the day off and, and Carpenter got, uh, got moved up to lead off and he specifically said Carpenter did before the game. Like, I don't want the narrative to be, uh, Oh, he's back in the lead off spot. If I, if I go four for four tonight, like he didn't, I think he was like two for <laughs> four or something, but he specifically said that after the game. And then Derek Gould also reported that, uh, after he hit a home run in that game, Fowler was in the dugout, like joking about, uh, about him moving, taking his place in leadoff, and so you've got you've got Carpenter specifically saying like, "Don't let this affect the, the the judgment," and Fowler joking about it, like he finds it laughable. And then the next day, uh, and since then, they've been switched because Mike Bethini will uh, will not be told what to do or right. what not to do. It does kind of work. I mean, if you think if we're just playing like out of the park baseball, you would have power leading off and Carpenter second, but I think they both are just OVP monsters and you'll more or less come out. Okay. Especially if Fowler's going to throw in a few extra base hits there. Yep. Now we just need everybody else to hit. Right. <laughs> because... Oh, Scotty's back on, man. I've been saying that's coming. 
and it looks like it is. I mean, he's kind of been uh, working on like getting his feet back, and so he can. I mean, the whole point of his game, like a lot of Cardinals, is like line drives to all fields. So he kind of has to stay back on fastballs and wait for him. And he's done a really good job of that so far. I mean, he's been tearing it up. Like, uh, I think he's, I think I've said before, he's probably my favorite Cardinal to watch. And he's really, I believe in him. And I think he's on the comeback now. I think his OPS plus is back up to like 107 right now. So on the year. Um, so you got him, you got Fam, you got Jerko, whatever he is. Um, you got Wong to the extent that Wong is a decent hitter now. Um, you know, so I Chad I, Chad Hoffman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I saw a stat. Uh, I guess ESPN sent it out. It was like um, this Cardinals team has blown more multi-run leads than any in history to this point in the season. And that's kind of what I think of this team. Like, I do think the offensive components are there. And I think uh, there's enough starting pitching to make it work. It's just that they're terrible, like the worst case scenario in all peripherals, like defense, base running, relief pitching, just about as bad as we thought it could get, it did get. And I think that's more or less what's stopping a pretty decent core, I think. So let's talk about these kind of bigger picture questions. We've got okay. a we've got a lot of uh, questions that came in, and we thank you, every, anybody who who sent them in, because yeah. uh, now we can use these questions as jumping off points for uh, bitching and moaning about <laughs> about it's their fault that it's negative now. No, I mean I think the big the topic du jour in Cardinaldom is the uh, kind of the question of if and to what extent the Cardinals should be sellers at the trade deadline, if things keep going as they've been going. Uh, and so we got a couple questions to this effect of, of who are the, who are the, you know, five or so most likely guys to, to be traded if you wanted to, I think there are some obvious names there, you know, the obvious rentals would be Lance Lynn, Sung Hwan Oh, um, there's obviously Trevor Rosenthal who has another year of control, but there's not a whole lot of guys who would be like the classic sell candidates. Yeah. Like we, yeah. Like the conservative build of this team kind of, I don't think you're really designed to sell. Frankly, I don't know who you really move that gets you a part that you can combine with the guys you got coming up the pipe, which a lot of them are fairly far off anyway. So like, what are you going to do? If you have this core that I think is fairly decent, um, if you blow that up and you don't get much for it, like I, you might, I feel like you're just closer to just contending in a year or two than you are, you know, selling these guys for basically nothing and just waiting for the guys you have coming up anyway. Like, I really don't think they're designed to sell honestly. I mean, that's the whole rap on this team, right, is that they're made up of a bunch of decent guys, and they're like, it's kind of a sum of the parts sort of strategy. So, I mean, I don't there's no obvious trade candidate to me, but that's just me, I guess. I hope, I don't want to answer every trade question like that, but I feel like that's kind of my stance in general. Yeah, I mean, the one guy who is interesting to me is Rosenthal. 
because he, you know, there are, you know, obviously the people are already making a match between the Cardinals and the Nationals who need bullpen help for uh, for potential trade for Rosenthal. I don't. I mean, if you you look at what obviously Rosenthal is is not Aroldis Chapman, uh, <laughs> thankfully, but. Uh, <laughs> Um, you look at what the Yankees got last year for Aldis Chapman, and if you could, you know, Rosenthal has got another year control. He is as long as he, you know, doesn't fall off a cliff here in the next few weeks. Like he's a pretty proven bullpen talent, uh, you know. And I don't know if there's one guy that intrigues me and, and that that uh, you could foresee getting a decent return on. That would be it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe. Um, I know. I can't remember if I was on the train or not, but I know after Kimbrell got moved, um, it was kind of a big thing like, okay, you could really get a lot for a relief pitcher now. Like, I think that was the time it became really obvious. Um, and I know people wanted to move Rosenthal back then, which I don't think we'd be regretting right now, probably. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean he's got, could... he's got another year control. I mean, I don't, uh, I don't foresee the Cardinals, uh, you know, forking over what it's going to take to extend him or, or re-sign him after he hits free agency. Um, I don't know. I mean that, that to me, like, I don't think you're going to get a ton for Lynn or O. Uh, right. I mean, I mean, if you're, I don't know, like you said, it, it's weird and it, it, there's not a whole lot of, of natural cell candidates on this team. But if we wanted to rank the top five who are most likely to be traded the de- at the deadline, I would say Rosenthal, Lynn, and O, and then maybe Grichik, who would not be a cell yeah. candidate, but I think or maybe just hope that uh, John Mozalek is close to just moving on. Uh, and then I don't know. I, I don't know who would be the fifth. Carson Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he would be he would be a buy. You know, he would be somebody given away given away if you're buying. And I don't know that. Oh yeah, uh, you absolutely shouldn't do that. But. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so uh, if you would trade uh, Grich or uh, Rosenthal, then does that mean you're uh, out on next year too? I mean. I guess. I mean, one of the, one of the things about trading away bullpen guys is I don't think it hurts as much, uh, you know. And I feel like that is the one opportunity to really get something back that is a valuable piece. I mean, I, I don't know. I just think it. I mean, if if Aroldis Chapman, if three months of Aroldis Chapman gets you Glaber Torres. What does a year and a half of Trevor Rosenthal get you? I don't know. Right, exactly. Um, okay. Uh, will we see Harrison Bader or Luke Wave, Luke Weaver before the trade deadline? I assume so. What we need to do is like get a like a whole like a listeners uh, MILB TV account so we can actually watch these guys and talk. About them. <laughs> uh, it's weird because you look at uh, you know. Weaver especially, you look at the numbers and you think, you know, this guy seems like he's ready. There's obviously, I think, something in this game that they see that they don't like. Um, and that's one thing I do. Is there? I, is there? I, I don't I, I guess. You don't think they'd move walkout by now? I probably wouldn't, I guess. But I mean, I, I 
I, I don't know. I, I, I think it's like I've said, I've said this on Twitter. It's for, to me, it's absolutely indefensible that Michael Walker is going to make another start uh, this uh, week. We can talk about Walker, I guess. Um, yeah. I, I mean, know. he's he, Luke Weaver. Uh, you know, that's, that's <laughs> for now, at least uh, Luke Weaver, if he were to replace anyone, it would be Walker uh, in, in a Probably. couple of weeks. It may be somebody else, but Probably right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, I don't know. Yeah, it's. I would like to watch both and know exactly for sure. You know, like if there is something that's stopping him. There's one thing I do like about how the Cardinals run things is that they they don't call you up until you're ready. Generally, unless there's like an emergency. I guess it's kind of more recently broken down with the roster, but in general, that's the approach. And I tend to like not rushing guys. Um, but if he's ready. I, I tend to think both of them will see definitely this year, almost certainly, um, probably pretty soon, actually. Yeah, I mean, I I, I just it, the the way that Waka has looked in the last five starts is just abysmal. And this is what we said we said earlier in the year, like, okay, you ride Michael Waka until you know for as long as you can until. And I don't I don't know. Do you have a read on whether uh, when when Waka's struggling? I assume that there is something, you know, he, he's in this constant bat- battle with having to adjust his mechanics to uh, prevent his shoulders, shoulder issues from, you know, cropping up again. And I don't know, I, what, I implicitly make the connection between those two things, even though uh, it may or may not really be there. Yeah, I think uh, some I've noticed in his last few starts, the bad ones, um, it seems like his changeup's not falling, which defeats the whole purpose of it. I mean, he throws other stuff, but Waka is primarily a fastball changeup pitcher, and those two work off each other. And if they don't work, then he has to start incorporating his terrible cutter and his terrible curveball, um, which he's kind of been starting to lean on now because that changeup's not falling. Um so if you basically you have a changeup and a fastball that both do the same thing flying, um, then a hitter can just kind of time up either one, just pick which one he's going to hit because he's probably going to see both in it at bat, and then he can just tee off on it. Um, the changeup, though, I mean, the benefit of it is that it looks like it's coming in fastball and it drops. Um, and so recently it's not doing that. Um, I'm not a pitching coach. I don't know how you fix that. But we've seen this year, like half the season of this year, that he can be really good when that changeup's doing what it's supposed to, which is why I'm not keen on demoting him because of five starts. Um, I think we kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater with him sometimes. I mean, he has a lot of very good major league innings with this stuff. I mean, I don't think he's really – I mean, he, I know he's had injury concerns and maybe he's had to adjust a little bit, but it doesn't look to me like he's done anything drastically different. Um, I think he he can be what we saw in the first half of this year. I know I'm kind of the high guy on him, but uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't love quitting on him now exactly. And I don't really know, honestly, what he'd do differently in the bullpen. He's already throwing a little harder than I'm comfortable with. Um it kind of it kind of reminds me of Shelby Miller this year, where he's fighting for a rotation spot. He's just throwing harder than he ever has, and he didn't even last like four starts because he blew out his arm. 
Um, I don't think it'll go that far with Waka, but I, if you throw him in the bullpen, um, you might be exacerbating that a little bit, and I don't love that part either. Frankly, I'd like to put Wainwright in the bullpen, but I know that's probably not going to happen. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> and, and that's kind. Of, that's one of the reasons why. I, I just think you need to get someone up and blood somebody, whether it's Weaver, uh, Gonzalez, Gant. I mean, skip somebody's start. Get I, I don't know. At this point, w- with the season the way it is, I mean, they're they're playing for their season right now. I mean, it's it's June, and and if you you know, I think we haven't really talked about this, but I I think the wild card is you know, pretty much beyond reach at this point. Um, yeah. so you're either going to somehow win the division and hope the Cubs are somehow as bad as they've looked, uh, or you're just, you're, you, it, the season is pretty much over. Yep. So I don't know. I think, you know, we, uh, we haven't talked about it directly. There's some other questions that we'll, we'll, uh, be able to reference the, "Quote unquote shakeup that happened. Uh, what is it today? You know, oh, ten days ago or so at this point. With uh, John Mozeliak putting his foot down, and you know, I felt I felt good about that. I I, I thought it was refreshing and encouraging to see some of you know his tone and his sort of candor and saying that people's jobs were on the line. And uh, but since then, and yes, it's only been 10 days, we haven't really seen anything change. And it, you know, in terms of urgency and, and, and really viewing, viewing every game right now is crucial. And, and I don't know, that's why, that's why I look at Mike, what Michael Waka and, and his last five starts and the results is just like, okay, it, at some point you've got to say, enough and and get somebody else in there who will you know will hopefully give you a better chance to win each game because each game is incredibly important right now yeah i th- yeah we didn't talk about the i don't think we did an episode on the shakeup so i guess i'll say um i kind of i don't know i'm not as down on that i think maybe i uh, i'm not as concerned maybe that's probably because i'm not as concerned about waka so but uh i do think it was a tangible step towards better defense in the infield and outfield. And it, I believe sent the message that, okay, we're not going to be doing the same. We're not taking the same philosophy to base running that we've taken this year. Um, I think that in and of itself was um, a meaningful step forward. Um, yeah. I don't know. The urgency is kind of hard to tell. I don't think you, you really, I don't know. I, I think it, is it is it any other guy besides the Waka situation where you think that's uh, been the case that they haven't been urgent enough? Um, not necessarily. I mean, I think uh, benching Tommy Pham for two games for going zero and four is kind of yeah. that's maybe a different. That's a I I wouldn't lay that at anybody's feet than the dumbass of a manager that we have. <laughs> um, you know, like I saw him say that he was gonna like evaluate nightly Tommy Pham bullshit like that it's like come on man give the guy a break uh, Jose Martinez hit third on Saturday which I think is like among the dumbest things Mike Matheny's ever done (laughs) 
Like, she just refuses to give Tommy Pham a shot even now. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, it was bad, man. Like, I hate to rag on Jose. I'm glad he made it to the majors. It's a cool story, but yeah, he looks – he's an ugly, okay hitter. Like, he's constantly off balance. Like, I like the guy, but, man, he should not be hitting third. Yeah. <laughs> And honestly, the only reason I think he should be on the roster at this point is because if Grichik, if yeah, I mean, yeah. hey, Grichik would be a great fourth outfielder. I mean, Grichik's defense is good. I mean, he he yeah. he can come off. You know, he, he he's power power bat off the bench. I don't. It's just it's the you know age old conundrum. You have Mike Matheny in charge, so you have to manage your roster around his mental infirmities um <laughs> all right so we've got n- next question is um kind of related to all this this stuff about mosaic and the, the shake-up and all that where would you rank mosaic among gms in the league strictly on field results i mean i guess this is like strictly on 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 field results i mean he over his tenure the cardinals have been the best in the league, right? I think. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, congrats. The Yankees. What, congrats. Yeah. What What does that mean to me right now? Jack shit. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. And I. It's just, as someone who's been ringing, trying to ring alarm bells about this team for like the last eighteen months or two years. Um. I, this wouldn't this this line of thinking wouldn't bother me so much if it were just fans and if I couldn't you know when I hear this I I can just imagine people within the Cardinals organization saying basically the exact same thing and that's the, that's the thing it it doesn't matter what yeah. you've done to this point doesn't matter and uh you know not to sound like some like business school consultant to, you know, some, the Eric Garland of baseball or something, but the best organizations are constantly trying to get better and constantly trying to bring in new people. I mean, just look at the Cardinals, like the, you know, Jeff Lunau left, uh, after 2011 took a lot of, uh, the top people in the organization with him. And I don't, I don't, um, you know, it's, it's, an oversimplification to say that, oh, Jeff Luna left and that was he was he was the reason the Cardinals were good. But just look at what the Astros have done over the last year, the last few years versus what the Cardinals have done. The Astros have brought people from uh, unconventional backgrounds to, to come in and work for them. Kevin Goldstein, who was a baseball prospectus guy, is now the, I think their director of scouting. Yeah. Um, there are, a, a, you know, a few other guys that they've brought in like that. The Astros under Jeff Lunau were, you know, they didn't take anything for granted. They had no track record to point to and say, oh, this is why, look how smart we are. And they've been a sort of progressive, forward-thinking organization. And yes, you know, obviously tanking helped. And, and I'm not saying you can draw a perfect one-to-one uh, comparison between them and the Cardinals, but look at what the Cardinals have done last in the last few years in terms of, in terms of their front office. And, and I mean, obviously the, the most notable thing they've done is 
commit one of the most hilariously, embarrassingly stupid uh, felonies, corporate espionage uh, acts of all time. Uh, And I mean, what else? Yeah, I mean, John Mozilek has has a good track record. The Cardinals have a good track record, but uh, that doesn't that's not a that doesn't mean that they couldn't have been outclassed and outperformed and and sort of passed by by the rest of the league who were you know finally doing things that the Cardinals were doing maybe back uh, before everybody else was, but now they're just kind of average at best. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, if you were just to take the question, um, I mean, and how you would evaluate GMs, I guess it's very technically it's wins per money spent. But I mean, like so much changes. I mean, your scouting department, the brain drain that, uh, you know, um, Chase just alluded to. Uh, so many factors go into it. That I don't know. I, yeah, I mean, even if, I, I feel comfortable saying that Mosaic's like a top 10 GM, but I don't know exactly how much he's responsible for. Um, you know, I don't know that if this continues, like, will he be able to continue drafting guys like he has? Um, that seems like something that's completely organizational and kind of like dependent on your scouting and your resources available. Um, so it's kind of a hard, I hate to cop out on the actual question, I tend to think he's probably top 10, but I don't, I don't Like I said, and like Chase said, there's a lot that goes into it. And I mean, if times change and his access to, uh, you know, people like Lunau changes, maybe he's not in that conversation anymore. Yeah. I don't think we're, I'm not among the people that want Mosaic's head just to clarify, but yeah. No, I don't think I do either. I don't, I don't, like I think, you know, Mosellock, he's he's an executive. He's he's at the top of the organizational chart. I think it for the most part, his decisions have been pretty good. I mean, and I think you have to account for the fact that his decisions, uh, you know, we've talked about this before. I believe that if it were John Mosellock's money, the Cardinals would have signed Luis uh, Robert. Right, uh, and you could probably say the same for any number of decisions over over the course of his tenure. So, he's he's limited by the ownership, which you know our our opinions are are uh, about which are well known. Um, and he, j- but just in general, I, actually, I want to roll this into the next question, which is about Matt Adams, and and is basically a- a- asking, um, what what's with Matt Adams looking like such a great player for the Braves. Um, the Cardinals, uh, you know, I've tried to, I've made this point on Twitter a couple of times recently, and I've tried to sort of write about it, but it's hard to write about because the specifics, um, are hard to get a handle on. But I think we need to, when we make the, we make a, a too fine a distinction between the, the front office and the GM and the baseball ops people. Uh, and then we draw a bright line. And on the other side of that bright line is, the field manager and the coaching staff and et cetera, et cetera. I think that is a, an increasingly a poor framework for talking about a baseball team. And, you know, you, you hear some of these things like, um, and like I said, it's, it's hard to get a handle on this because teams play these things pretty close to the chest and they should, because this is where you're trying to get competitive advantage. But 
that entire apparatus needs to be working together and working together smoothly and efficiently. And if you have baseball ops people who are noticing some, you know, are looking into the numbers, whether it's, uh, you know, StatCast or whatever their proprietary thing is, uh, and see something and, and see a player that needs to change an approach in a certain way, they need to be able to communicate well with the hitting coach or the, you know, the field manager. And that, and I just do not get the sense at all that the Cardinals are operating the way they should be in, in those respects. You look at you, you've heard, you know, like the pirates have a, a baseball ops guy, like a stats guy that travels like as a, I don't know if what his title is, but he's like his basically his role is to travel and always be around Clint hurdle and the coaching staff and like making sh- him, by the way. Yeah. 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 Actually takes his word for stuff and implements it on the field. Right. And so I just, I don't know what you think of all this, but like, I, I just don't get the sense that the Cardinals are doing that well at all. (laughs) And Matt Adams, you you know, we've, we've, uh, Matt Adams is, I think, you know, evidence for that. Uh, yeah. To speak to that point, um, I think, you know, I think Mike Matheny's, uh, I don't know. Mosaic's managing around Matheny is symbolic of that. Like there is a disconnect. They can <laughs> deny it publicly all they want. I think it's very clear and it's been clear for at least three years now that, you know, they don't agree and there is a disconnect. And we've seen this year and last year, like if your coaching staff's not on the same pro, I mean, your coaching staff can more or less sink a team like we're seeing now. I mean, just, bad fundamental play like bad you know process can just mess up the best play best laid plans i mean um speaking to adam specifically i like watching uh the braves when jaime starts i can watch both of them and i've noticed he's still like the one thing that was always i've been a huge adams fan and the one thing that always stopped him from being what he's doing now is that like He's just too susceptible. I just don't think he can recognize a break on pitches. Um, he's still whiffing like at stuff that falls below the zone. And I think right – I don't know. He can go on runs like this where pitchers kind of try to pitch their game to him and lose because he just dominates the top – like the upper half really of the zone. But uh, I think eventually pitchers – it's not – Beating Matt Adams isn't hard. I still don't think it is. Once you realize you can drop a slider or a curve on him or just, you know, a high fastball that drops down, a changeup, anything really below the zone, you can beat him. And I think his numbers are going to go back down. Um, I guess that's my take on Adams specifically. But I do think that disconnect, that bright line you talked about is there and absolutely should not be. Yeah, it's hard to talk about because these things are, you know, ideally you would want a front office and a coaching staff, you know, working on things that no one has even heard of yet. And like two years ago, that would have been the flyball, quote unquote, flyball revolution, right? Uh, and that sort of those sort of changes in approach that in, in getting ahead of other teams and and trying to maximize your team's performance in a way that uh, other teams haven't figured out yet. And it's just, it's 
quite obviously not happening. And yeah, you know, you I look will at, say on their at, at least on that point, um, they have done a good job of organizationally going after line drive guys. So I think they sort of. I think they did kind of cheat that curve, but yeah, I'd take your point in general to be true. Yeah. It could just be like a communication issue or a, a issue with getting, you know, like you've, we, you talked about earlier, uh, the fly ball revolution is not for Yadier Molina. No. (laughs) Uh, And so somebody needs to get that across to him. It's like, dude, just, just hit, singles (laughs) singles <laughs> you'll be fine like right. uh you don't need and you've got of course i saw the quote from mike Matheny, who like basically admitted that he bats him fifth because if he doesn't he gives him the stink eye and that's the uh that's the great leader of men that we have um, I've heard that. that's great <laughs> the cardinals would have been would be far from the first organization to have gotten too you know full of themselves too complacent and just haven't really had the urgency to you know to do what they did 10 years uh more than 10 years ago now and and uh bring in somebody like jeff lunau who's an outsider and has an unconventional perspective to come in and sort of audit the organization's approach to scouting and development i don't see any evidence that they have uh, you know, done what they should have done in the last few years, and and it, which is to be constantly reevaluated and constantly looking for that next edge, and and you know, here we are, and you know, I've been using the word complacent now for a couple years, and you know, I just think this was this was avoidable, and it sucks because you you talked about this last year the cardinals should have been in the playoffs last year they should have made the wild card and arguably uh one reason they didn't is because they didn't have the you know organizational wherewithal to t- say to themselves like holy shit look at our base running we need to change this immediately and if they had there's a chance that they could have made up that one game and gotten into the wild card yeah I don't know. Let's try to end it on if the Cardinals were a flavor of pot part, what flavor would they be? <laughs> I feel like I should boycott these questions now so <laughs> we don't continuously get them. Because <laughs> I feel like we're uh, heading down a path with these that I don't want to go down. I'm not really up to up on uh, my pop tart flavors. There is a root beer one now, I think. There so is, is, is like cornbread a pop tart flavor. <laughs> No like, like really shitty. Uh, I think you just go straight no icing, and that's the cardinal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, all right. I think we can end it there. Uh, okay. Actually, before we go, we have a bit of sponsored content. Uh, our friends at some other Cardinals blogs are doing a March Madness style bracket to decide the greatest Cardinal moment in the last 125 years, which is this is this year is the 125th anniversary what a team to celebrate that uh so uh so check out uh c70 at the bat dan shopta friend of the pod uh the intrepid stl which is brennan schaefer's uh, another friend of the pod redbird rants cards blog uh those are the four blogs that are doing it check them out for more details they are uh getting started soon here i think uh, follow Mac on Twitter at El Machino, me at DC Woodruff, Double Birds at 2xBirds, 
Visit Double Birds online at double-birds.com. If you like the show, spread the word and give us a review or subscribe to it on iTunes. Um, And thanks as always for listening, and we will be back soon for episode 19. Peace. Ten cards, ten cards, ten cards, ten anything.